You're listening to teaching from the Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Are you enjoying our winter weather this morning? Amen. I, I was reading a study this week that the average child asked 73 questions a day. Some of you, you say, yeah, but I think my kid actually asked closer to 100 questions a day. When my kids were small, and there was two primary questions that they asked. One, and you'll see this on the slide, you know, one of their favorite questions was, are we there yet? especially going on trips. And most of the time, we wouldn't even be outside of San Antonio, and I was already getting this question. And, and, and sometimes we wouldn't even be out of the neighborhood, and, and that question would come, are we there yet? I'm like, oh, man, we got 10 more hours to go, buddy. I mean, we got a long way. And, and then the second question they asked a lot when they were little was, why? Why do I have to clean up my toys? Why do I have to clean up my room? Why do I have to eat my vegetables? That was Elijah's favorite question. Why do I have to put the cap back on the toothpaste? Why do I have to pee into the toilet, not on the floor? Why do I have to have brothers? I mean, we, we, we just had these questions after question after question. Now, as they've gotten older into their teen years, the, the questions have changed. You know, we'll see these up, uh, up on the screen. But a couple of key questions that they always asked was, what is for supper? That, that, that's an important question in our house. Everyone wants to know, what is for supper? And then the second question that's often asked is, can I? Can I go to Connect tonight with the youth group? Can I go to CIY? Can I do whatever Richard has planned for the youth group? Can I go to this dance? Can I have $20? Can, can I go to Taco Cabana? Now, will you take me to Taco Cabana? Can I go to Mod Pizza? They never ask, can I clean the house for you, Dad? Can I mow the grass? Can I wash the car? They, they, they never ask those questions. When my kids were smaller, they also used to ask a lot of questions about God and the Bible. And, and Ellison, my, my youngest, I, I remember he, he was talking to his mom and he said, Mom, uh, you know, my name is Ellison Morgan. But what is God's last name? I, I, I want to know that. She said, well, you know what? When your father gets home, he'll be glad to tell you that. <laughs> kids have all types of questions. And, and this morning, I'm going to invite three kids to come up. And kids, you know who I'm talking about. Why don't you come up? And, and they're going to give us some questions they have about God and the Bible. So kids, come on up. Yeah, give them a round of applause. Tell us the question that you have about God. 
Can God hear all prayers? Can God hear all prayers? That's a very good thing, especially because, I mean, he's got all these prayers going on at the same time. How does he hear all of the prayers at the same time, right? You know what? Mr. Clark's going to answer that for you later. Uh, so you just ask him, and he'll take good care of you. So what's your question? Does God have a favorite board game? Does God have a favorite board game? You know what? That's another great question that Clark will be glad to answer for you, okay? But what do you think? If God had a favorite board game, what, what favorite board game do you think he would want to play? Monopoly? Monopoly? Yeah, okay, there you go. You have a Star Wars Monopoly? Yes, cool. Forever and ever. You know what? You know what? I think God loves to play board games. You know what? That's what, that's what I believe. What, what's your question, buddy? When does God ever eat? When does God eat? You know what? I know that has to be your favorite question because you're always concerned about eating, aren't you? Yeah? You're always hungry, yeah. right? I thought about when does God ever build? When does God build? Yeah, there's all kinds of questions. You know what? Those are excellent questions for you to ask your dad, and he'll be glad to answer those for you, okay? And so I appreciate all three of you coming up and asking questions. Those are great questions. Give them a round of applause. Questions. Don't you just love the heart of these children and the questions they have about God? I, I, I think about some of the, my favorite teachers. They ask questions that got your attention. They, they ask questions that engaged you in the discussion. My, my, favorite question, my favorite teachers, they would give me a question, and, and man, I would chew on it, and we'd go back and forth discussing it. And, and, and I love those teachers that, that did that, that made me part of the discussion. What I've discovered is when you look at the Gospels, Jesus was a master at asking questions. We spend a lot of time talking about his miracles, and we talk about his teachings, and we talk about his sermons, and we talk about how he interacted with the disciples, and about how he interacted with the religious leaders. But one of the amazing things about Jesus is that he asked a lot of questions. In fact, he asked over 150 questions in the Gospels. Over 150 questions. And today we're going to find out two questions that he asked his disciples. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. That's where we're going to camp out today. Now, let me give you a little background on the text. And Jesus' disciples, they've been at the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to take about a 25-mile north journey up to Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi was a beautiful area. You're going to see a couple of pictures up on screen of Caesarea Philippi. We're going to see that it was filled with vegetation. It had grapevines and fig trees and mulberries. It also had a 30-foot waterfall, just a gorgeous, beautiful area. But it also had a, a dark side. Before it became a city, it was a place of worship for Pan or Panias. Pan was the Greek god of nature and flocks and the wild. It had the torso of a man and the hindquarters of a goat. 
And there at Caesarea Philippi, there was a cave, and there was also this big chasm, and this big place, this big drop-off, that people would bring sacrifices to Pan. And, and, and they would drop off goats and animals. And, and, and this was a place that they, the, this place was so deep that they called it like the gate of Hades, the, the place of the underworld. And, and they believed that gods during the wintertime would often go here to hibernate. And, and so what they wanted to do is they wanted to please the gods by making sacrifices so that he would bless them during the spring. And so they would come here and they would sacrifice. They would do all of these things. And they would also do a lot of immoral things, prostitution and, and sexual acts with animals and just all kinds of bad, evil things. And, and so we got all of this going on at Caesarea Philippi. But not only that, but by the time that Jesus and his disciples got there, there was this big temple that was built right in that area. Some say right in front of that cave. That was for emperor worship. And, and so they, would, they were not only uh, praising uh, or worshiping Pan, but they were also praising the emperor. And so keep that in mind as we dig into our text this morning. Matthew chapter 16. It says, when Jesus came to the re region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and some say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Basically, I picture Jesus and his disciples sitting in the shadows of the shrines of, of Pan and the emperor. And, and Jesus says, who do people say I am? A am I just another god? Am I just like Pan? Am I just like another emperor? And the disciples, they say this. They say, well, they say you're like John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And, and, and here's the thing with the prophets. The prophets, they didn't hold anything back. They didn't pull back any punches. They spoke boldly. They spoke boldly against the culture. They spoke boldly against religious teachers. They spoke boldly against political people. And, and often they weren't understood and, and so the disciples say, hey, they, they say that you're like one of the prophets. Now, I want you to notice, though, the disciples didn't report when also, when what people also called him. People also were saying, hey, that Jesus guy, he's a troublemaker. He's a blasphemer. He's a false teacher. He's a traitor. The disciples just say, hey, they're just saying you're a prophet. But then Jesus says this. He asked them, but who do you say I am? Now, when you see the you up there, it's plural in the Greek. The way that we say that is, well, what do y'all say I am? What do y'all say I am? He, he's talking to all of the disciples. But Simon Peter, and he tended to be the spokesman, and he tended to kind of fire away. He spoke up very quickly. He says, you are the what? You are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the son of the what? Of the living God. I want you to notice this. Christ means, and Messiah both mean anointed one. To be set apart for the work of God. Prophets and priests and kings were anointed with God's oil or with oil to, to lead and to serve God's people. But the prophets... 
and we'll see this throughout the Old Testament, they said that there was a time coming that the Messiah would come and he would change everything else. And what Jesus is, or what Peter is saying is, you're not just an anointed one. You are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are everything. And then Peter says, you are the son of the living God. You're not just a mere man. You're not a high-ranking angel in human form. You are God. Now, keep in mind, Jesus brings them to Caesarea Philippi. This, this city was named in honor of an emperor. It's in the shadow of where a marble temple was. I think we'll see a slide that gives some details about this. It, it, this city was a place that honored Augustus. It, he was held as Savior, Lord, and High Priest. It, he was known as Emperor Caesar, son of a what? Of a god. And considered the son of a god because he was in a because his adopted father, Julius Caesar, hinted of his divine status during his lifetime and was formally recognized as divine by the Roman Senate after his death. Peter is not only confessing that he is the Christ, not only that he is the Messiah, but he's also rebuking that he's not just, or he's also giving a rebuke of the claims of the emperor. He's saying, Jesus, you are living. You're not just the son of a God of Augustus Caesar. And then Jesus responds this way. You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. I, I, I love this. Because, first of all, hey, Peter, you gave a really great answer. I mean, you, you gave the truth. But don't get too arrogant. This answer didn't come from you. This answer came from heaven. There's been times in ministry that all of a sudden I was talking to someone and I was pretty amazed about the things that I was saying. I said, man, I wish I had a tape recorder because I, that's not wisdom I normally have. But that was the Holy Spirit speaking through me. And you probably had it happen as well. Maybe you're trying to encourage someone. Maybe someone's asking you for some wisdom or for some guidance. And all of a sudden, you're praying and, and God just gives you some things to say. And you're just like, whoa, where'd that come from? I, I, I kind of have that feeling with Peter. Peter blurts this out. And, and, and this is God speaking through him. Let's continue reading. It says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell or Hades, maybe what your translation says, will not conquer it. Now, these verses right here have been greatly debated. There's been hundreds of pages written about this. Uh, many people have went back and forth. Well, what, what does this passage mean? Our, our Catholic brothers would say that this means that Peter is the first pope that he is so important, and, and this is the start of the church. Uh, some of our Protestant brothers would say, well, actually, the church, the foundation of the church, the rock that he's talking about is the confession that Peter made. Now, something I read this week that also someone said was, well, you know, when Jesus said this, that, I, that upon this rock, he was actually pointing to himself that I will build my, rock, build my church. 
I'm not sure how they see that in the text. I mean, they're, they're just reading. It's like, hey, you know what? Uh, yeah, Jesus at this point in time, it, it must be in the parentheses. It must be in the footnotes. It must be somewhere. But hey, up on this church, on this rock, uh, I, I will build my church. All kinds of people have different theories about what this means. And, and again, I've read volumes and volumes and I've heard uh, scholars debate this. I'm going to let you dig in. And and decide that for yourself. But the part that I really want to focus on that I think we miss is that Jesus says, I will build my what? I will build my church. I will build my church. The church is the ecclesia. You'll see this up. It says literally means called out once was and was a word that could be used of any kind of gathering or community. He says, I will build my church in the midst of all of this pagan worship, in the midst of this emperor worship. I will what? I will build my church right there. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this beautiful? As I thought about this, I I was thinking, you know what? What if Jesus came to San Antonio? What if Jesus came to San Antonio? What if San Antonio was Caesarea Philippi? I think we probably have some qualities of Caesarea Philippi, don't we? We have a beautiful city. We have the river walk. We have all of these natural things that are so beautiful in our city. But we also have some things that aren't so beautiful. We have crime and we have poverty. We have violence. We have things that our city worships. We, we definitely like to worship fun. Uh, we, we like our parties and we like to do di- these different things. And so I wonder if Jesus came to our city and asked that question, who am I? What, the, what our city would respond as. Who am I? Some people might say that he's a historical person. Some people might say he's a good teacher. Some might say that he's a prophet. Some might kind of treat Jesus like a genie. Hey, I, I, can, I can pray to Jesus or I can ask God when I need something. Some people might have a negative view of him. Some might see him as a domineering ruler or an unfair dictator. Some might see him as a good friend or a comforter or a healer or their provider. Some might even say, yeah, he's my savior. He's my Lord. He's, the, he's God in the flesh. The, the way that you answer this question, who am I, is so important. It, it, it determines the way that you view life. If I take my glasses off, I will tell you right now, many of you are blurry. You are, I'm sure you're good looking, but right now you just kind of look like a, a blurry glob to me. But when I put my glasses on, I see you in a whole new way. When we view Christ, when we view, when, when I put on the glasses with Christ, I see life in a total different way. I, I'm reminded of a story that I read this week by a minister. He, he had a friend that went to the eye doctor. And, and he goes into the clinic, and you, you, you notice uh, when you go into the eye clinic, there's always an eye chart. And, and he sits down, and he uh, the doctor says, hey, what's the first, first row say? And he says, well, it, 
it says A, and then he says, well, what's the next row say? And he says, X and Z. And he says, well, what the, what's the next row say? And he says, N, C, O. Man, he's feeling pretty confident. He says, well, what's the next row say? And he says, I, C, U, P. And, and, and so he, he, go, he goes through, and, he, and, and then he puts his, uh, the doctor turns off the eye chart. And the guy says, well, how'd I do? He said, well, you definitely named off all the letters, but the chart was made up of numbers instead. And, and what the guy didn't realize is that he was really blind in so many ways. He, he didn't see life the way that it was meant to be seen. I, I remember the first time I, I got eyeglasses. I mean, before, I, trees were just like globs. And, and we're driving home from the eyeglass place, and all of a sudden, these trees had definition. I'm like, Mom, uh, I didn't know trees looked like that. And she was like, well, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I didn't know they had this beautiful definition and things that we had driven by all the time. All of a sudden, I could see life in a different way. The, the way that we view life is so important. Uh, how you see life defines life. But so often, what happens, or how, we, how you see life defines life. And what we need to start with is starting with Christ. And when we start with Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, it, it changes the way that we live. It changes our relationships. It changes the way that we use our money. It changes the way that we use our resources. But what happens so much in life is we take things that we believe, things that we, we think, and we say, hey, God, I want you to bless these. Hey, I, 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 you know what? This relationship... This house, this whatever, you, you name it, you fill in the blank. And we bring it to Jesus and we say, Jesus, you know what? I want you to kind of put a little Jesus dust on top of this and you just make everything right. Instead of starting with the spot of, hey, God, do you want me to take this job? Do you want me to go to this school? Do you want me to do this and this and this? But instead, too often what we do is we take things to God after we've already made the decision. And, and then we wonder why we have a mess in our life. Amen. I, I know I've been there before. Instead of Jesus being the first thing that I do, sometimes Jesus is the last resort. And, and that happens in life all the time. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't take everything and lay it before God, but so often what we do is we use Jesus as the last resort. Now, if Jesus is the Christ, if he is the son of the living God, then that has to be our starting spot. And so this morning, I, I want to ask you two important questions that, that I think is so, so important in life. First of all, and you're going to see these questions come up uh, on screen. Who is Jesus to you? Is he just another prophet? Is he just a good teacher? Is he just someone that you run to when you want a blessing, when you just want, hey, Jesus, bless the thing that I've already decided on? Or is he the Christ? Is he the son of the living God? And then also, I'm going to ask you, where's your Caesarea Philippi? Well, where's that place that you need to bring Jesus to? It could be into your home. It could be into your neighborhood. It could be your workplace. It could be someplace that you just see is really bad and terrible. And you say, you know what? That's where I want to be a light for Christ. Who is Jesus to you? And where is your Caesarea Philippi? 